what are you afraid of? Well, it's probably that you're afraid of succeeding. You know, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for other people? Or are you doing it for the praise that other people give you? So don't get ahead of yourself and expect yourself to be anywhere else, but exactly where you are right there, right now. In the sense, it feels like you are an employee, you are a worker of the NSOs. And that is one of the most frustrating things. I saw a system that worked to pit us against each other better than letting us work together to be able to feel powerful enough to create change. Welcome to the All In Podcast, where we dive into the mindset, habits, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. In All In, you can expect real and raw conversations with athletes, coaches, and leaders on topics like mental health, mindset, psychology, training, wellness, habits, and much more. We hope to leave you feeling empowered with motivational stories, relatable experiences, and actionable advice, and I know that I personally walk away from each episode learning something new. In this episode, we hear from Cassie Haresh, a former Team Canada skeleton athlete, broadcaster, speaker, and storyteller. We speak about her journey of starting new sports later in life, managing mental health on the road, the reality of sport funding and what Canadian athletes go through and are going through to represent Team Canada at the highest levels, a conversation that was sparked by the recent strike of the Canadian women's soccer team, which shone a light on the way many athletes across various sports are treated in Canada. Personally, I found this conversation incredibly powerful as we both have different backgrounds with our sports, yet such similar experiences and what we experience as Canadian athletes. So without further ado, let's go all in. Cassie, welcome to the All In Podcast. So glad to have you here. Matt, so just so good to be here. (laughs) Glad we could connect. I'm so excited. I'm stoked. I know we've connected before and we had a great conversation. And so I'm excited to take it into the the podcast format. And for those of you or those listening who haven't heard your story or know much about you yet, um, because obviously we're going to get into it over the the course of this podcast, but can you give a brief kind of background of your journey, especially your athletic journey? Yeah, so multi-eventer as a a kid, so was into everything, kind of started in the realm of like gymnastics and just moving my body and and getting excited about meeting new friends. But ultimately, it was volleyball that uh, captured my heart later in kind of like junior high, high school. And I took that into university and a little change up university change, sport change, took me into track and field. And then I became a heptathlete at uh, the ripe old age of 21. Uh, So I did that for a few years and then did 400 meter hurdles and then ultimately would discover the sport of skeleton. So that's the head first winter sport that everyone thinks is nuts, like all the winter sports. Uh, Yeah. And then I was able to do that for the better part of 10 years. And now I'm actually training, although not yet competing um, as a Muay Thai kickboxer. Super cool. What has it been like, like taking up new sports later in life compared to, you know, the people who've had the story of they started the sport that they're still doing at like the age of four? Yeah. One word humbling every (laughs) single time. It is just a kick to the gut currently more, more specifically that exactly. But it is hard. Like when you're joining, especially because all the teams that I joined would have like most teams, they have athletes that are really good and well-known and you're kind of walking into a room, staring at them going like, what am I doing here? And you already feel like that because as you mentioned, like a lot of people start a lot of their sports younger and then they do that throughout their year. So they just like their whole life, they just understand where to be and kind of where they, where they match up. But at the same time, it was also like ignorance was a bit of bliss because you don't have all the same issues or expectations of yourself. So you can kind of be free to just figure it out. 
Mm, those are two really cool points. I want to dive into the first one, which is kind of like the imposter syndrome that you referenced to of, you know, stepping in there, there's people maybe you've seen on TV, you've heard their names, they have existing relationship with the coaches, you're coming in as like the new kid uh, on the block. What is that like? And what advice do you have for the next generation of athletes who are going through that they're jumping into a new sport and endeavor or even non athletes, right? They're jumping into uh, a role in their work mm-hmm. life, or even their social life that they feel kind of this uncomfortable, feeling of being that new person do I belong here you know how did you deal with that yeah I think you deal with it differently all the time but most of all the first thing you have to worry about is yourself so just pay attention to why you're there why you like it what it is about it there's always going to be things and people and external factors that will step in and tell you like oh maybe maybe I shouldn't be here maybe I shouldn't be whatever it is and that was always the case whether it was starting track late and being really slow for a couple of years or jumping into skeleton. And to your point, like seeing these really high profile Olympians standing next to me, <laughs> you're, you gotta just trust what you were enjoying about why you wanted to try it. And for me, at least in the sport world, and I do this somewhat in my career as well, I needed to give myself a timeline. So that's not to say that, um, you know, if not by that and then forget it, I'll never do it, but I needed to create space. So I, for skeleton, looked at the opportunity and I was 25 at the time. And for all intents and purposes, you know, maybe quote unquote was supposed to be doing something else, but I really, really enjoyed the sport, at least how I could do it up to that point and thought the idea was really interesting. So I looked at how long it typically took people to make the national team. And that meant that I gave myself about five years. So I said, okay, if not in five years, then I need to renegotiate perhaps this, this plan that I have, but by then I'll have a really good idea. So don't get ahead of yourself and expect yourself to be anywhere else, but exactly where you are right there right now. So in this moment, this is the best you can do. And if you're still enjoying it, then just take another step, take another day, take it day by day. So that's kind of the first one. And the second one is it's, it's that what I've recently referred to as like the roommate in your, in your mind, there's always another voice, but it's not yours. Mm. The one that tells you, you can't do things or you're not good enough or whatever, the run the gamut of things it'll tell you. That's not your voice. That's the voice of other people of your doubt, but it's not technically you believed you could do this. You tried it, you got it, you got the job, whatever, you're joining the team, you're there because you can be there and you deserve to be there. So just keep listening to your voice. So when those negative voices come in, just remind yourself, it's probably that shitty roommate you have that, you know, isn't really doing you any service. So just let them pay the rent, but you don't have to listen to them. <laughs> I love that. And I love how you kind of ended with, you know, just let them pay the rent and you don't have to listen to them because <laughs> they're going to be there. Right. They don't go away. Like, it's not like you can just like, boom, you're evicted. No, like it's, <laughs> that voice stays no. there, but it's learning to, you know, translate that negative self-talk into neutral thinking or positive yeah. self-talk. Yeah. And it's hard. So, you know, for everyone listening, that's not something that I'm like, and I'm great at it. No, I'm like, shit at it. It still <laughs> happens in every aspect of my life. You have these conversations. It's about catching them and and just determining like, is that is that helpful? Is that true? No, it's always no. It's not like, oh, wow, that was really helpful. Thanks for putting myself down. I'm just going to go take that. No, you're, <laughs> you have to remind yourself that's not helpful. So what would be helpful here? Or alternatively, like, what are you afraid of? Well, it's probably that you're afraid of succeeding. People will say maybe you're afraid of failing, but it's not that. You're afraid that you might actually do it and that you might actually be better than other people. Because then what? Well, mm-hmm. that happens. And then you have a new system to deal with. But, you know, it's uh, it's worth the challenge and it's worth some of the, the mental strain. 
Yeah. Well, it's so important that you that you brought that up and also mentioned that it doesn't go away because, you know, I hear a lot of young athletes and maybe they'll reach out to me and say, you know, I'm dealing with this negative self-talk. How do I make it go away? <laughs> and it's so important to say, like, it doesn't. It is an mm-hmm. ongoing process. And I know it's stressful, right? Because when you're going through it, you're like, can I just get rid of this voice? Is it normal? Like, why am I dealing with this voice? Does it mean that I'm not good enough and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean any of those things. Again, it's just a voice. We all have it. And it's learning to kind of like accept it rather than just push it away. Yeah. Yeah. It's the noticing for me. It's the noticing that that's, that it's there. Right. Because I think it gets really good. I know it gets really good at just like sounding a lot like your voice. And that's when it's dangerous. That's when you really think like, Oh, now you start believing it. Right. Like all the things you tell yourself, your body's listening, right. In all sense of the word, whether you're trying to get stronger or faster or just mentally, mentally more like stable, whatever you're telling yourself on a daily basis is really affecting you. So you have to be careful about what, what you're actually listening to. You can hear things. We hear things all the time. We hear like thousands of things. We intake so much content, but it's what you're paying attention to that is going to really, really solidify what happens next. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Now I want to go back to there was two things you mentioned the imposter syndrome, but then you also kind of hinted at it was almost an advantage in a way to have that mindset of going into something late with like, you know, you don't have all the same stress and expectations and pressure from the from the get go. Could you talk a little bit about that as well as how maybe other athletes or other people can adopt that mindset or learn something from it? Yeah. So it's, it's just the, it's like the newcomer reality of anything. Um, and, and that's why I use the ignorance as bliss. Like it is in this case, because there are so many factors, regardless of what you're taking on when it's something new, whether you're learning a new skill just to learn it, or you're trying to, again, we can talk about, you know, having a career or whether you're a new athlete, whatever it is, it's just so beautiful because you don't know what you don't know. So it's, it's okay. So figure out things one step at a time, right? So you're able to just do that really keen exploratory process at the beginning where everything is just really exciting and new. And when you can stay in that state, it actually heightens your your ability to enjoy it. And so doing these things for the first time myself as potentially someone who is maybe older than expected, the reality was I didn't have the stresses of these other athletes for in, in the sport world who had all those external pressures. Nobody expected anything from me. They were just like, this girl's here to try and figure it out. And simultaneously, you realize really quick, no one's worried about you. Like if you have, you know, good coaches around you, which I hope everyone has at least had one of somewhere, then you know what it's like to have people that that believe in you and are able to support you, but really it's going to be up to you. So, you know, if if that's something that you're dealing with and you're doing something new for the first time, don't try so hard to worry about what you're not doing and just worry about what you're figuring out because you're getting it. You're getting it every step of the way. You're not going to just go from point A to all the way to X on your first day. It's just not going to happen. And some things will feel like you got that. And those are those really great days where you're like, oh shit, I'm actually really good at this. And that's that moment where you get a little bit further, but really it's, it's just such a, it's such a refreshing experience to have. And because I have done multiple sports for the first time and then tried to do it at a high level as I was doing it, I've seen that happen over and over again, regardless of how old I am, regardless of how naturally good I am at something or not in some cases. Um, it just makes it for more fun. And it also reminded me later when I was getting good and I was potentially, you know, put in that realm of one of those athletes who is well known and people would be joining the sport, how I wanted to 
present myself for them and treat them in that realm. So I remember some experiences that I had with older athletes who had forgotten what it was like to be a new athlete. And some of my questions may have come off a bit annoying or, or frustrating because they're like, well, I'm not here for you to do that. Right. And I repeat, I appreciate that. Not everyone's there to help everyone else all the time. But for me, that was very much something that I wanted to not do. So when I was older in terms of the sport and more senior, I was able to recognize that, you know, new, there are no bad questions, especially in the sport of skeleton. It is so weird. People have no idea what's going on. And to this day, I answer every question that I've heard thousands of hundreds of thousands of times the same way. Because for me, it is just as important as the first time that I asked it, if someone else wants to know that information, whether or not um, they're looking to compete or they just want to get to know more. So whatever the sport is, whatever it is, I think that there are no secrets. And if you're able to be that person that's asking the questions, enjoy that process. And simultaneously, if you're the person that has the answers, maybe just take pause because it's pretty special for them to be asking you for that answer. Yeah, they say that it's so important to be able to, you know, have both people you look up to in your life, as well as people that you can pass on lessons to. Mm -hmm. And I think that having those people, maybe they're younger or they're newer to the sport or whatever it is, maybe the career that you're working in, being able to provide those answers can help you like reframe and look at something from the first time again and relive it in in a way because- Mm -hmm. You know, for example, let, let's say uh, in the sport of CrossFit or the sport of even just people going to the gym, they make a lot of newbie gains. Like there's a lot of gains early on. Mm-hmm. You're learning new things. You're making a lot of progress. And then there's years where it can, you're trying to add five pounds to your back squat <laughs> over yeah. like five years, you know? And it's like, how do you get through that point? Same thing, you know, in skeleton or or like myself in snowboarding where you're winning contest, all of a sudden you make it to the national team and now you're stuck in years where you're just trying to come 20th place at a world cup. And when you're yeah. stuck in that moment and you're not like, oh my God, how did I go from winning to not like you expect to just go to winning world cups and then you win the Olympics and boom. like it's <laughs> yeah. that Isn't that how right? it goes? You just straight, just straight trajectory <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the moon. So no. in that, in that <laughs> process, I think it's important to be able to reflect and relive and look at things from that new perspective, just as if you're like, Hey, like this is the first world cup I'm going to, you know, take that experience that you have already, but but go through it with, you know, those mm-hmm. eyes of like, okay, like I'm excited about this. This isn't just like, oh, great. I'm going to come 20th again. Like, you know, <laughs> you're just yeah, sitting and, in there. So. And I want to add to that too. Like, I don't think, and you'd probably agree. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't necessarily do it at the time, right? Like it's, it's hard to remind yourself in the moment, like, oh, just be present. Like Natalie and Cassie said, just be present. No, you're going to be stressed. <laughs> you're yeah. going to be like worrying about all this shit when it's happening for like, you just, when you said the new world, the first world cup, right? I remember my first world cup, like it was yesterday and it was like over, over 10 years ago. Right. So I'm yeah. just like, blink, blink, like be, it was so seared into my mind of all the things that were going on and everything was so stressful. But I also took the time after to journal, take some notes. I had a blog at the time that just helped me to reflect upon those things. And as I did that more, that's when I started getting better at being able to, at least again, to go back to the original comment, just catch myself, mm-hmm. catch those thoughts, catch those moments. And the better you get at catching yourself, the less you have this like bulldozer effect of getting overwhelmed with all of your stress because it's going to be there it needs to be there that stress that anxiety is going to get you ready for competition and particularly in sports so don't get rid of it don't try to push it away just embrace it for what it is some rare people don't get excited or nervous before that's great if you're one of those people use it but most people feel those butterflies feel that effect of all the training all the thoughts all the worry and then you just do it 
and whatever happens happens and then you keep doing it again and then you get better but yeah to be able to remind yourself to enjoy that process is a golden nugget that if you can do it for your entire life you will just enjoy things more Mm. Yeah, I love the tip of journaling or just, you know, reflecting on or writing a blog or, but yeah, anything to get you to reflect and try to speed mm-hmm. up that process of catching those thoughts, because eventually they add up, add up, those thoughts get bigger. <laughs> and like you said before, like that, those roommate thoughts almost start to sound like it's yourself. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that's so important. And for people listening to, you know, when you're going through things in your sport, in your life, along that process, take the time to reflect and to work on them and to learn rather than 10 years later, like, oh my gosh, I got to do some heavy therapy to work through all those things that I never <laughs> did at the yeah. time. But yeah, I want to ask you, um, what are some other things that you did back then while you were, you know, training and traveling the world to work on your mental health on the road? I had a sports therapist that or psychologist that was that was really, really helpful. I also had a performance coach, so slightly different. Um, we worked a lot with heart rate and breathing and things that were controllable. I found that at the time, especially in a sport that requires us to be extremely explosive for a really short period of time and then really, really calm. So the only other sport that I've really ever watched like that was like biathletes mm, where they'd have to yeah. shoot. Right. So they they ski for this really long time and then they have to be like really, really just like super focused. And for us, it's the opposite. It's very short periods of time of this like six or seven seconds max of sprinting and then 50 ish seconds of like basically just a dead body. Like you, you're, you want your heart rate so low that you're basically not even breathing because you do actually like don't use very much oxygen in that time. So to be able to manage all those things to prepare your system for that um, is really important because a lot of stuff happens before you're standing at the line with your sled. There's other people you're getting ready. Like a lot of people don't see it, but especially for sliding sports or um, everyone gets ready in the same change room. So all the guys and you know, for at least for practices, it's guys and girls. And then for races, it's just like gender specific. So say it's a race day, it's going to be all the women, it's going to be all the coaching staff, it's going to be all the support staff, it's going to be everyone else that's there, because there's not really like, maybe in Olympics, they have them segregated, but the really the um, spectators can be there up on the dock, (laughs) they're like walking around. So your parents might be there, maybe your loved ones, like people that you want there, but also could add a level of stress. So all these things are happening. And you have to be able to find a space in yourself, whether it's interacting with other people that you don't want to see that day, other countries, teammates, whatever it is, you've got to figure out a way to have tools in your toolkit that work for you. And so for me, some of the breathing techniques, I had some like keywords that I would remind me of some scenes that I'd be thinking about, whatever it is. And and I'm not going to get too deep into it because it was different for different people. So that was one tactic that I needed to use through the end um, of my career competitively anyways. And I just continued to use things like that. But definitely the talk therapy was supportive on the road. So when things were really messy or difficult or not going the way that we, we, as in me and the team had planned for myself to be trajectory wise or winning wise to your point, you said before, where you start to be like, well, what am I doing here then? Like I'm not succeeding. Uh, people, you know, you have sponsors, you have all these external things that are supporting you. And you're wondering like, is everybody, am I letting everyone down? That's usually the thought, right? You mm-hmm. stop thinking about, most of all, you feel like you're letting yourself down, but you kind of project that as letting everyone else down. So you need somebody off. I needed somebody to help remind myself what I was there for and, and just talk about what was going on and a neutral third party that 
didn't have any vested interest one way or another about the conversation. Um, and so sometimes those can be family or loved ones, but a lot of times it's somebody that has no relation to you whatsoever and maybe knows some of the players and the conversations that you're having, but that you feel safe talking to. And that was, I really only ever had one specific doc that was that person for me. I had some bad experiences on the other end where, and I'll say this because it's happened to other people, like where I've told a specific sports psych that was like with our group something. And then somehow the coaches knew about that mm-hmm. and they should have known about that. And it was just, that really put a damper on it for me because I didn't trust necessarily that the people that were in place were doing it for the reasons that I needed them to be doing it. So in saying all that, it took me a while, even now post competitive sport to find someone that I'm willing to talk to. And I have found someone, but I get it when people are like, ah, oh, therapy's not for me. For me, it, I think it just had more to do with feeling safe to be able to really say the things like the gross, useless, like just the worst thoughts you're having kind of things out loud because they needed to get out of my head. And sometimes writing just didn't work. Um, someone put it really well to me a couple of weeks ago. I had said that I really wanted to be writing more and, and they said, yeah, but you think so fast. I think that for you, it needs to be about talking because when you're writing, you have to slow down more and you probably get ahead of yourself and then you forget what you were, where you were going. So maybe typing, right. Cause you can type a bit faster, but if anything, just talking it out. So if you still can't find, if, if someone's listening and is like, I still don't want to talk to anyone. Sometimes recording yourself helps. Um, recording yourself like voice to text, even there's lots of apps that do it for free. It, it's just some place for you to be able to reflect again, to go back to that. So those were really, really big pieces of the puzzle for me and full transparency. I didn't use them looking back as much as I needed to. Um, it was almost like a last ditch effort to try and fix whatever was feeling wrong or to just take it past another like 10th. <laughs> I just wanted something else, but Looking at it, I know what was going on. It was hard to admit exactly with the help that I needed because I thought I could handle it myself. So mm-hmm. all that to say that give yourself some grace um, wherever you are in your journey. You know, I'm not suggesting that this is the easiest way to make it perfect for you because you're going to make mistakes, but you might not even know you're making mistakes while you're making them until it's later. And that's okay too, but just keep paying attention, paying attention to what's, what you're going through. And, and if you feel like you, and if you don't feel like you, then where can you look for some support or what conversations can you have to help you figure out what you need next? You you brought up so many amazing points. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that so transparently, because I think, you know, for one, I definitely relate to the the thoughts are so fast. You try to journal and it's like you've already condensed everything that you want to get out there. Like it's like you're being the therapist in your mind already and like just putting down like the best version instead of like right. fully expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, talk therapy is so helpful. But also, you know, you brought up a really important point about athletes often they don't feel safe that is a big stigma of them going to see the sports psychologist because they worry you know does that put a target on my back do what what's the stigma around mental health with my team with my coaches could this get to them I know for Mm -hmm. me personally that was a big worry when I talked to the sports psychologist it was so performance-based because I was really worried like could this affect if I'm going to be chosen for the national team next year because I know what the criteria is and I know you know all these different things and I'm like what if they put that in there and they're like no Natalie has this fear or Natalie's scared of this or you know right I'm like a lot of athletes worry a lot about Mm -hmm. that and you know I was even talking to a friend this morning and about how 
she's a national athlete and she she told a coach and he was like oh you're playing the mental health card about her just needing to spend more time you know training in, a, in an environment yeah. that she felt more safe in and I was yeah. like how is this still going on in in 2023 so do you I'd love to talk more about this topic because I think it's so important you know we're seeing even over this this past weekend we've we've seen mm-hmm. Canada soccer you know the just the the horrible things that are going on behind the scenes in NSOs. And I think a lot of athletes in Canada have just had enough with how they're being treated and just not feeling safe, you know, right. They they don't feel like with the superiors that they have around them, that they feel safe of like talking and expressing their concerns and creating change and, um, and being respected, you know, what are you, what's your experience been with that? And how, how do you think we can like push things forward with the conversation on mental health, but in just in general, creating a safer space for Canadian athletes? Yeah. Let's see if we can get this answer out. <laughs> this will go viral if we figure it out. If I had that answer, I would give it to you right now, I swear. But yeah. here, my experience is very much like it's the business of sport. Yeah. Um, when you get past a certain level, and it's different for different sports, because everyone will say, oh, you know, once you make the national team, it's this, this. No, sometimes it happens earlier. Depends on the type of sport and the profile at which that sport is demonstrated across your country, across the globe on the media and ultimately how much money that that sport can make for the vested interest. Okay. So that's where it starts. Sport is a business. You are a part of that business as an athlete. The issue that I found immediately, which I always knew was there, but I'm not, I'm unclear still on how we can best address it as an athlete in the middle of it is that really the NSO, when you look at the structure should be working for the athletes. That's the thought that you're joining this group that is like, all right, you're the bosses, all these athletes, you're the ones that do the work. You're the ones that win the trophies or win the tournaments. And, and you put on those 20 hour days of like, just trying to get what you get done. And we're here to do all the business stuff for you so that you have that support. That's the thought. That is not the case, right? Ultimately it works the other way. It's very much like a business structure where they're the bosses and somehow all these athletes are the underlings that are there to do the bidding of the NSO. That's the, that's the very stripped down version that is the experience for many people. Now I've had good experiences and I've had really, really hard lose all our funding. Good luck to you. Like hook it to your veins to pay for this kind of experience. So I've had it where the support was really good. There was lots of money at the top. I was one of the athletes that was identified as someone who was potential to win. So I was able to experience at a certain point what that was like to have that support, to get what I needed, to not worry, to feel safe, to feel like all I have to do is the, is the sport is train, eat, sleep, and try and win. That's my goal. Not like, how am I going to pay for this? How do I book this flight? Where am I going to go? How am I going to train this summer? None of those things. I wasn't worried about it. I got through the ranks and I believed, okay, great. I'm here. I did it. I've arrived. Right. And for a small period of time, that's how it felt. It felt like I was taken care of and I had what I needed. And then very quickly, the funding was gone. Our potential and skeleton was no longer identified. And I went from being an athlete who was like great on her way to the Olympics, ultimately Chaos occurred and we lost our third spot. I was the Olympic alternate. And then suddenly the team altogether, most most of the athletes, at least for the women, retired at that time. I stayed. And then suddenly the people that were making decisions were like, for money-wise, were like, who, who's this again? Mm. <laughs> like, what? So then you have the other experience where I'm still on the World Cup team. We have no money. 
we still have CEOs and people at the top of the, at the board who are all getting the same, they're in the same positions, same salaries. As far as I know, I mean, I'm not going to, don't quote me, but there was still money somewhere to pay for them to stay. They weren't doing it for free. We were still getting carded. Carding is minimal, as most people know. At the time when I was still competing, it was around $1,500. I think it's upwards of like 18 now per month, something like that. Still not very much, but that was it. And if you were going to get carding, especially like the rules keep changing. That's how yeah. I, instead of getting into it, the rules get shifted and the contracts are very much kind of just like as they need them to change. There'll probably be some people who listen to this and say, Cassie, that's not what happened. But that is what happened. I have copies of every single contract that I signed through all those years and they kept shifting. The rules kept changing and they kept changing in a seemingly arbitrary way. But we kept adjusting. The athletes were like, okay, well, now I have to do this. Now I have to prove this. Now I have to hit this standard. And if I do, then do I get the same things I used to get? No. Then there's another hoop and another hoop. So the experience that I had, at least at the highest level in skeleton, was very much like felt like, and the group, this came across the group. That's why Bob Slicana Skeleton stepped forward in recent past two years. Same thing. Very upset about how things were being handled, the experiences they were having. That culture had been built into the NSO from a very long time ago. Somewhere, it didn't just happen when someone sat at the top of the table. It was already there. And we accepted it, I believe, because we wanted to just be there for sport. And we believed somewhere inside of our heart that they had our best interest. The, the idea was that like, oh, I was a little bit, it kind of sucks right now, but like, yeah, we don't really have any money. So what do we do, right? What can we do? And in a sport, at least in my experience, where everyone's really individual, like, yes, there's teams. Yes, you all travel together, but everyone's really out for themselves. I saw a system that worked to pit us against each other better than letting us work together to be able to feel powerful enough to create change. So is that the answer? I don't know. I don't know how to bring athletes together to all trust each other enough. Like you watch the women's soccer team and I love that they all agreed to say like, we're not going to practice. We're not going to play if you can't, if you're not going to listen to us. Right. And that's when I look at that and go like, for you know, all the details aside, the idea of getting a group of, I think people would say this, specifically females to all say, yes, we all trust each other enough and we're all going to do it. And no one is going to not say they agree because then you have the power. So when the athletes recognize that they have power together, even if you're an indiv individual sport, there's enough of you because if you stop competing, if you stop doing the job that you have to do, there is no sport. There's just nothing there. And I'm not suggesting let's riot and just don't, don't <laughs> compete. But I'm saying like the power does, does lie in the hands of the athletes. So the business side of sport, to go back to that, is, is where we're lacking intelligence. And, and I mean that in we're focused so much so on the active part of it, the actual active sport itself, and that there need to be some mentors in support of helping us understand more about the business side of it. Whether that means, you know, and there are and there are people that are stepping up and having really great conversations around those things. But the education piece of helping an athlete understand who they are in the system in which they're about to enter is limited. When you make that national team, they don't go, all right, I'm going to sit you down with some lawyers so that you can understand 
the details of this contract that you're about to sign. You're so stoked. You made the national team. You're going to be part of Team Canada. Sign the line. You're good. Sure. Whatever you want. Can I do my sport? Can I do my sport with Canada on my back? Yes, I did it. Right? Focus on that. That's all the focus is. I'm not saying don't worry about that. Now go worry about the business. I'm saying there needs to be some kind of system to help people understand, to at least read it, to pay attention to the language, to ask more questions, to challenge the way that things are being written, that they're being presented, and don't be afraid to work together. Stop worrying about, as athletes, what you do or don't have against each other and start worrying about what the group of you can create together for yourselves. Because it is for the greater good. I get that we're worried about our individual performances and that we want to be someplace, but I can tell you, you can't go alone. You will not get there by worrying about yourself, even if you're the only one that gets to go to the Olympics, whatever the thing is. You won't get there without having a system behind you that is supporting all of you. Because you won't get your name on the on the list without your NSO. So we have to work together. There has to be a way. This is so important. And I, I know at least all my other national athlete friends like have had the exact same experience. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because this has been the conversation that I've been having all weekend with with friends and family and just... Oh you know, with the things that I experienced back in the day and just felt like I could never speak up because like, who am I to speak up? Would that put a target Mm -hmm. on my back? And then hearing from, you know, friends in different sports, individual sports who are going through the same thing. Um, And it's, it's the same process. And then of course, with, with the news of Canada soccer as well. And I think it sets such a dangerous precedent, how they're strong arming, you know, the women of the national team, because who's going to say that that's not just going to further that culture in all the other NSOs that are doing similar things and um, scare the other athletes from organizing or, you know, coming, coming forward. Um, I think it's easy for the public to see, oh, Canada says they're investing funding into this sport and this and this. As an athlete, when I heard that, you know, money's coming to snowboarding, I never saw any of that money. I was like, where did all this money go? Yeah. And and it, it, and what you said was so spot on about the NSOs, you know, they should be working for you. Like the athletes should have that support. But in the sense, it feels like you are an employee, you are a worker of the NSOs. And that is one of the most frustrating things. Like when I stepped away from, from competing in snowboarding, when I retired, I interviewed for a role at my NSO and realizing that I would make in one year more than I ever made my whole snowboard career was one of like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going further in this interview process. Like I just can't (laughs) work. (laughs) Like I can't do this. Like it was just so insane (sighs) to me to think like, these are the athletes and like the person who's, you know, typing things up or reaching out for sponsors or whatever, like important role, super important. But how are they making more than the athlete themselves? There's no athlete, there's no product without you know the the athlete if we want to look at it from a business sense yeah um and it just it's so disheartening and I think a lot of the public don't know and I know you know we might not have answers but I think you know talking about it I think Mm -hmm. putting it out into the public is just so important personally like I wrote to the sport minister to the uh minister of heritage this weekend just being like especially you know as I'm not a current national team athlete so I don't feel like I have a target on my back if I say anything you know versus I have uh uh, friends who are like "I, I don't think I could 
to write something or say something because I worry about like how that would affect me but I'm like I I don't feel that so I'm gonna I'm gonna write about it I'm gonna say like what's happening here is happening across a lot of other sports organizations and this is the culture that there is it just be grateful that's that's what it is be grateful and you know we are we all are grateful to represent you know team Canada or have represented team Canada I've never met I've never met an athlete who is either like aspiring to be a part of team Canada or who was a a member of team Canada who didn't say that they were that they were so proud yeah. to be that that person that that experience to be that representative for their country and i will take nothing away from everything that i experienced because it was incredible no matter how hard it was and yes that's the reality and i'm not saying that because i like feel like i have to there were some really shitty years where i felt like why am i doing this like canada doesn't understand that country as a whole isn't getting the information about how mixed up this all is and it has everything to do with transparency your point is correct about like it's the money right because money runs everything I don't like we can talk about this like it's all for the love of sport but like it, it isn't for the majority of the people that are running the systems like the but Olympics then they are, tell us that it's, huh, it's, for, it's the for, love sport. Just for the love I'm like well yeah. we are doing it for the love because we're broke so yeah. we're still here doing it right and to not let that, you know, I've heard lots of conversations around like Olympic athletes who have won medals and, and just ingest or otherwise said, like, I hope my kids don't want to be Olympians because, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like deter them from it and be like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. But you just don't like you, you want, you want the children of the world of the athletes of the world to aspire for that kind of greatness in their sport. I don't want it to be this like illusion where we all walk down the yellow brick road and we pull it across. And suddenly it was just like a guy pulling strings. And I'm like, ah, just kidding. It wasn't really what you thought it was like right now. That's how it's looking as beautiful and as magical as the Olympics are. And I've, you know, I've experienced them in different ways, (laughs) both in the media as an alternate leading up to having people win Olympics medals, like it right next to me. Like I've seen it, I've seen it for what it can be, but I've also seen the other side of it and like how much money there is there and, and the kinds of, the kinds of pay structures that exist at the top of those organizations. So there's no shortage of money. It's just not going to the people actually doing the thing. And that's the confusing part. So Olympics or otherwise, right? Like I'm sure we could talk about this and we could bring in all kinds of voices from all levels of sport because the issue here is that it's getting to be sooner and sooner that that lack of transparency whether it's i don't know what it's motivated by is it just motivated by greed is it motivated by like just the old boys club i I don't know like whatever the sport is i can i'm thinking of so many sports in my head that like it happens earlier even younger like kids in that system and it and they're already a part of it like they're just a cog in that system and they're trying so hard to get jutted out into the world of you know you look at the nhl things like that like that alone and yes the payday for them to go pro is potentially so much greater so i guess then the argument is like well then it's worth it right but when you look at the the amateur athletes the prof- we used to were like jo- jokingly call ourselves the professional amateurs mm-hmm. because there was no pro skeleton team that you could make where the millions were waiting for you it was slide as long as you could whether mentally, physically, emotionally (laughs) in your soul, and then you're done and you're probably not going to do it again because it's not a recreational sport. So then what's the draw? People would ask me that all the time. Why do you do it? And I would say, well, I both love and hate this sport every day. 
but I do it because it's the challenge is great enough for me to enjoy still that I want to be here. Hmm. And that was the simplest way for me to say it. But really, I was like, this is some bullshit often. (laughs) However, competing, training, I love that part of it. And so it just made it okay for me to at least continue to go until it didn't, quite frankly, until I was just like, Jay Feeney, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to play this game. Yeah. And I need to go. So that was my exit. It wasn't a, it wasn't a physical thing because quite frankly, I do believe I could get back on a skeleton slip even now, <laughs> like slide. I don't know how fast I could push, but I do think that I could still do it, but I don't, I don't want to. Um, yeah. It's not something that I would enjoy anymore. And, and what does that say? Right. So I don't know. I'm rambling a bit, but I appreciate this conversation and, and just hope that there's something in here that someone hears or sparks them to have a conversation. And, and with all the hope in my heart, there is a different way to make the systems that are in place work for everyone. I'm not saying you don't get paid at the top to run the show. You should, but let's disseminate some of that money down a bit better and make it clear about where it's going. Because for all the programs that I see have been created, both for athletes that are current and athletes that are former, I'm curious to know how those current athletes are still not getting paid more. Yeah. So No, I appreciate this conversation. I think it's so important. And I hope, yeah, those listening just get a little bit of insight on what goes on behind the scenes, because I think over this past weekend, we've seen how people had no idea, like how that this stuff goes, goes on. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even as, even as a a fan of the, the Canada women's soccer team, like it, it was surprising. And at the same time, like, you know, as a, as a past national athlete, it was like, damn, like that's still happening and oh, it's still too. happening to them our biggest well. team, right? Like not just <laughs> yeah. like, you know, snowboarding or skeleton, like these smaller mm-hmm. individual sports. Like this is a team that has like inspired our country. Soccer is, I think one of, if not the largest youth sport in, in yeah. Canada yeah. With registration right. numbers. So it's, right. and that soccer is something that you could do forever. Exactly. Like, literally right. forever. Anyone could do it for fun. You could, I could just go right now and buy a soccer ball and start playing. Like that's, yeah. That's all you need. That's it's that's why those are the types of sports that are just so beautiful in sport. So yes, to see that type of sport at that level struggling with the same things that we've all experienced to some level going, Oh, really? Like that them too? Like they don't have it figured out. Oh, we got, we got some work to do here. Like people aren't feeling safe in the finances. They're not feeling safe with their coaches. They're not like, what is happening? Okay. Like we just need a reorg here. (laughs) Let's all sit down and have some real hard conversations. And just stop, stop BSing about it. Like, yeah. let's, let's be real. Right. And there's, and I've said this statement in the past when people are like, well, how come you think it is like that? There's no better business bureau for national sport organizations. So you can't like report them and be like, Hey, this isn't working out for us. Bad, bad review. Yeah. There's nowhere to There's nowhere to go because everyone is, everyone is working in tandem really from the government, you know, like all the way to the NSOs to us, like they're all they're all working in the same system. So the system is the same system. So who do you speak to? And as you said, when people come out to the media, if you're still competing, there's a good chance that they could make that, that you're just sour grapes, Mm -hmm. but something you didn't get something you didn't, whatever. And that's an easy spin. Okay. Well now we have no conversation happening again. So that's what I've been watching over and over again of the, the hard conversations aren't being had publicly because it's an inconvenient truth for those who are currently running things. Yeah. Yeah. And like, all you mentioned is like, you know, just starting this conversation, it's opened up so much with both of us Mm -hmm. of our experiences. And that's what I felt with, with talking to my other athletes. It was like, wait, like, 
we have all gone through this. I'm like, how is there not change? So I, I think this is a good segue to uh because you mentioned, you know, your your retirement from from skeleton. And I mm-hmm. read your letter, Dear Skeleton, and I love <sighs> that you that you wrote that. And I want to ask, yeah, like how was that retirement process for you? How was that transition? And why was it so important for you to write that letter to to the sport of skeleton when you retired? Mm. Yeah, the transition out was rocky at best. The decision to leave was one that over the course of two weeks after my last competitive race of that season um, in 2017-ish, 2017-2018, that so just leading up to the next year before the Games, I made the decision that I was no longer enjoying myself. Um, There was lots of factors, much of which we talked about for the last 10 minutes or so. money decisions new new expectations things that just an ever changing list of um hoops that were that were needing to be jumped through and at that point I'd already been sliding for over over 9 years so I felt very much like I needed to ask myself like do I still want to do this if I was to make the olympic team the following year would I be proud to be there or would I just be like, I'm so exhausted. I'm glad I'm finally here, I guess. Right. And it was very much the latter. So for two weeks, I didn't answer emails. I didn't answer phone calls or texts or anything. And I just like shut myself out and asked myself the same thing every morning. Do I want to do skeleton? And it was, and it was no, every day it was no. And I'd had that experience before, but by like day four or five, I was like, I want to again. And then I'd go back to the sport, but no, my heart was just, it was just finished. It was tired. Um, and I was just so emotionally drained from managing so many elements like that season had cost me upwards of $60,000. Um, and that alone, right. You're just like out of pocket, out of sponsors, whatever, however I could get it was just like really hard to swallow when you're thinking like, I could find that much money. I don't even make that much money, you know, in the career that I chose, (laughs) like what is going on here? So was it worth it? And the answer was no, and it wasn't anymore. So that was a hard one. And it was sad and I mourned it, um, but really didn't deal with it in a full way. And in some ways, like I'm still dealing with it occasionally because I didn't really understand like why I was so upset a lot, why I was so sad. I was having a lot of really negative feelings about many things and, and you know, to the things we were talking about before, things that I didn't deal with at the time that had just like shoved down so far that I didn't even know they were there anymore. So as I had the space um, and the time, they started coming out, and it was it was like, oh, what's that about? You know, it wouldn't come out in the way that like I'm talking specifically about whatever the problem was. It would just come out in another way. I was like, whatever. However, I was like in my relationships or how I was experienced new sports. It was just it was just a it was a rocky road to to continue coming back to like oh maybe this is just like i'm still going through some level of depression and i think that becoming an alternate in 2014 was also led up to that too it was a big part of the beginning of depression that i kept just sliding through quite literally just yeah. was like i'm not going to deal with that i let everyone down that year now just keep pushing and make it work and then ultimately would step away and then i'm like well now i'm a big failure like now it really didn't happen So so those thoughts really, really deep, deeply were like just living in my cells. And so I needed time for them to (laughs) recreate themselves and like shed off all that. Um, And it's, and it's taken time. So all of that to say that now I can see 
um, that I did what I needed to do. So that's like, I'm the most proud of that, that walking away from the sport at the time was hard, but it was exactly the right thing to do. And watching all of the other things that have gone on with our sport in particular skeleton, uh, I definitely dodged a bullet in many ways. And I don't think it would have gotten any better for myself in particular. Um, it's definitely like too old and all those kinds of things. Um, uh, I did, st- I did try my hand at coaching so much like you, I kind of jumped in, tried to get back into it, but instead of with the NSO, I went with a different, um, provincial sport organization. So I went over to Whistler and coached for the, that winter right after that I had, um, so the winter of the 2018 games. And so some of that was really great because I got to see back to what we were talking about, all those new moments, um, watching all these brand new sliders and teaching people what about the sport and doing public skeleton and just really seeing the love again. And I actually got to do my, my last run on my terms ever in Whistler. One of the last days of sliding mm. called up to the tower and said, like, I'm going to go today. And they were like, oh, OK, great. So I brought my sled up and went and it was like a little sketchy, a little, a little frightening, but I still knew enough what I was doing. And that was my last run ever. And it was important to me to do it on my terms, because otherwise my last run would have been during a race. And it was just in in Park City and just not what I wanted. So um, I was able to do that. So, yeah. And, and now I'm just grateful for all the things that I'm able to to talk about and um, and reflect on. But holy shit, it takes time. Like, you know, I I look at it's 2023. Now I stopped in 2017. Like we got some distance from that date and I'm only now just really like reflecting in a big helpful way. And, um, and honestly just able to being able to process it now. Um, and that's, that tells you just how deeply ingrained it was in my, in my system. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you opening up and, and sharing about that because I, I, I really completely, I know we we kind of talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. uh, when we talked before, but yeah, like I stopped and I retired in 2015 and then, um, I, you know, similar experience with the 2014 Olympics getting close and then, yeah, and, <laughs> and calling it, yeah, so close and then, yeah, calling it and, you know, yeah, like you said, it was 2023 and there's still things that come up like, in my mm-hmm. life where I'm like, where does that relate to like, you know, those things that I was going through? What's like, this about? Yeah. Like why yeah. am I pushing so hard for this? Does it relate back to like this thing that I was going through or, mm-hmm. you know, like that treatment that I, that I had in like trying to make ends meet and snowboarding and like fighting for this and, and, you know, everything. And it's yeah. so interesting how, you know, like, I feel like it doesn't matter, you know, for you sliding, let's say for nine years or whatever it is, it almost, it feels like a lifetime. Like it's, it's like a it really whole does. lifetime. It's so intense. And so to work through some of those things, it's, it's definitely a process. And I mean, I think anyone can relate whether they've, you know, they left a, a relationship that was mm-hmm. long lasting or yeah. um, a job that they thought would be their end game and then they completely transitioned there's a process and like things are going to come up later in your life and it's all going to relate back to like these little things like it is kind of cool sometimes to be able to connect those dots it's healing but it's also you know sometimes it's like man that was so long ago why am I still going through right right and I heard it one time that it it was said but I didn't really resonate until I suddenly was like oh yeah it is like that it's like a death it's like dealing with a death and the grieving process of something that like lived inside of you so it's it it is like a relationship like a job like it is your identity it has become so much of who you are and it's not like you can just cut your arm off and be like I don't have to deal with that anymore like it's still with you whatever it is however you went through it however you're still processing it and there is no like time frame it's not like okay well in three years like you'll be you'll be done with it by then 
it depends on how much you're willing to do for work, like in terms of processing it, whatever that means to you. And for me, I was not willing to do it for a while. I was just like, I'm fine, everyone. Thanks so much. I'm just going to continue to be successful in a bunch of other things to find my value, project my worth, get feedback that's positive, right? That like external validation, Stay tuned, mm-hmm. athletes. That's a big one in your brains, whether or not you realize. Yeah. Like, look for that. Look for the signs. You know, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for other people? Or are you doing it for the praise that other people give you? Look, we all work in coaching situations, and I am guilty probably more than most that I love that. I love <laughs> it to this day. I want someone to tell me I'm doing a great job. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous to live your entire life that way because you don't realize why you're doing things anymore. And you're constantly seeking. So in being able to have that realization personally, I'm able to take pause more or at least at least check in with myself once in a while and go, oh, okay, I know what that's about. You know, why am I having these thoughts? Well, I'm probably thinking, yeah, yeah, I just really want someone else to tell me I'm doing a good job. Okay, well, you know what, Cassie, you're doing a good job. (laughs) And that's enough. And like, that's enough. So like, be okay with where you're at. And then we'll just take the next step. So just like the beginning of your journey, the end of your journey is going to be just like it in a very downward spiral way and not down to bad, down to a new version of you because everything you get from your career, however long, however short is going to impact you in such a powerful way. Should you allow it to grow you into your new self? Because if you do, then no matter what happened to you, you can be that much more powerful. Um, But it can also crush you. So it has, it has that power, but you're the only one that gets to decide what it does. Mm, so powerful. And the, 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 what you said about external validation is so true. I mean, that's something mm. I've definitely dealt with for sure. And it's, it's such an ongoing process, right? Like you have to actually take the time to be like, <laughs> is this what I want to do? Am I saying yes to this opportunity because I actually want to do it or because it's going to like, I'm going to get this validation from it or because the person who reached out said all these nice things. And right. I'm like, oh, now I got to yeah. do it because oh, no, I, gotta. <laughs> I feel good. But I'm like, wait, but I actually don't want to do this or it's not aligning <laughs> with the goals. Right. And yeah. and that's a, that's big. You know, like I, I transferred into the sport of CrossFit immediately after after snowboarding. And then when I injured my shoulder in 2019, you know, I had like, this is now my first year being able to compete again. And I had Mm -hmm. all that time over the pandemic to process. And I was like, I feel like in the pandemic, I lived like so many years because I was able to do so much processing of like, wait, what, what was my actual motivation, you know, for competing in this? And then for a while I was like, okay, you know what, maybe like I actually got to the point where I was like, I would be fine if I don't compete again. And then Mm -hmm. as I started like continuing to put in the work on my shoulder, then I was like, wait, I actually do really like this. I enjoy (laughs) training every day in the process of getting better. And I was like, but you know, it's for a different purpose, right? It's not for that external validation anymore. And it was such a interesting shift, but it's, it's still such an ongoing process with so many different things, but it's just like, sometimes you have to take that time, but it it take a while to actually face it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that Sharon and kickboxing for me was that way. Cause I got to, I found kickboxing again, right after same way you found CrossFit. I was like, Oh, I'll do something like 
super aggressive and, and just like different and was able to find a really incredible coach who I'm so grateful to still be working with now, but I was only able to do it for that one, one and a half years. And then I went to Whistler and then I was living in Ontario. And so I didn't get to work with him anymore. And so when I came back to, to Calgary where I am now and was able to work with him again and just really, really dive into the process and the belts and, and getting further than where I was, I got to ask myself like, well, why do I like this so much? Or, you know, and he's not one to go like, just, just blow smoke out my ass all the time. Like he's going to tell you what's going on. But for me, it was about finding a community again. Um, and I bet that CrossFit can be like that too, for you too, right? Like to be able to find that group of people who are interested in something similar, but then simultaneously be able to challenge yourself on the regular and, Mm -hmm. and find your edges in a way that only you can decide how far you go. And so that for me, just every time I'm at training, every time I'm sparring now and like getting punched in the head, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is not what I was doing five, six, seven years ago. Like, but I like it. I like it because of all the reasons that it helps me find me in my, in my way. So yeah, I just, I echo that so deeply that having the time away from it and then going like, actually, yeah, <laughs> I really like that. I know it, it isn't maybe what people think I should be doing. Cause I got a lot of flack for like, well, what about your, what about your head? What about your face? I'm just like, what about it? Like <laughs> I'll protect it. I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn how to deal with this. Right. Yeah. And, and you do, and I'm not, I'm not diving right into professional fighting, but there is some like actual contact. So let's, let's see where it goes. And it's such a journey and it is helping me feel so much more in control of my own experience again. So cool. And that's awesome that you were able to find that. Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing process for sure. And (laughs) I mean, I think we could talk about the topics we've talked about, you know, forever. I had a few more stuff, but I don't want to take up uh, too much of your time here, but um, I want to quickly go over, like you've transitioned into, you know, broadcasting, Mm -hmm. um, working with CBC, all these great things, kickboxing, we just touched on, you know, (laughs) what, what, what's going on in your life now, what's coming up in the future. And like, what are some of those, those positive lessons you've taken from your past in sport that are like helping you with what you're doing now? So before I started Skeleton, I'd already grabbed a degree (laughs) in journalism. And I knew that media and broadcasting and telling stories and connecting with people was always, always, always so deeply, deeply important to me. And it still is. And even it it served me so well as an athlete, I was able to to parlay that into sponsorships and and schmoozing and all the things that, you know, we don't necessarily always talk about so highly, but it's crucial for all that money we can't get (laughs) as an athlete. You can find people that will help you. And I'm so deeply grateful for all those, those people, those groups, those individuals, the $5 that people would just be like, this is all I give you. I'm like, what? You don't have to thank you so much. You know, like it made such a big difference. And so now being able to tell stories, um, on the other side of the microphone. So I do some analyst stuff and color commentary for the women's and men's skeleton with CBC sports, which I, I love getting to do that and just reconnecting. And that was also really healing for me too, to be able to get back into that world. So, you know, thank you to all the athletes who took my calls and and everybody that, you know, didn't hear from me for a few years. And then mm-hmm. suddenly I was just up in your inbox, sliding into your DMS, you know, like it, it was, a, it's been a process and, and one that I'm grateful for. And, um, so with CBC and then I'm also able to did some writing with them. I'm also able to do summer and winter Olympics. I have opportunities in both of that. So getting to see all those athletes again and seeing another side of the sport and getting to do all the things and tell the stories and ask the questions in a way that 
would have been really important to me had I, you know, sometimes you get a really good interview and while you're in the middle of competing and someone just asks just a really intelligent question. And I would often be like, thank you so much for asking that question. Thank you for taking some time, just even 10 minutes to get to know my story and not asking the same six questions Mm -hmm. over and over again, because people don't get to know us as athletes that way. Like, let us, let us tell some stories, give us some opportunity, leave some room for that. So that's an important piece for me. And I, and I really do try to do that for whatever sport I'm covering skeleton or otherwise. Um, and I've been working in the marketing and PR industries. And mostly that was something that I was doing. And I say that with like a little snarl, because it was something that I did because I could and, but it wasn't my passion. And I'm always happy to help other athletes or help companies or, or my friends that own companies do things like that. But I'm very much leaning into my own business, which has, and always will be um, very much about getting to tell those stories and connect with people. So whether that's speaking, whether that's um, setting up workshops or hosting events and just living, living the life of being able to help people tell those stories. So in a, in a short way, anyways, that's what I'm up to. And and I'm really, really happy to be able to be doing that. Mm, I, I love that. It's so important. Storytelling is so important for the growth of, of various sports and of athletes. And um, yeah, it's, it's huge. I know like it's important to get sponsors as an athlete, to be able to, you know, tell your story and be able to put yourself out there. But, you know, having people who ask the intelligent questions, who help you get out your story, that mm-hmm. is just, it's huge. Like we, we've seen with sports storytelling, especially over the past few years, how it can explode yeah. the growth of a sport when you actually get to know the person and behind, you know, the, the helmet or whatever yeah. it is, is yeah. it's huge. And um, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about that for a while. Maybe we'll, have to <laughs> we'll save, save that it. For... We'll talk about, we'll talk about sports storytelling with Natalie and Cassie. That'll be a yes. big one. Yeah. No, yeah. That's Think huge, about right? that. That's my one tip that I will leave with everyone for if you're currently competing and you have an opportunity to do this podcast, to answer a question, to do anything, consider it as a gift for you, for yourself. If you feel comfortable doing it and you're ready to tell some stories then tell your stories in your way, but, but honestly, like, don't think of it as something you have to do. Think of it as something you get to do. Cause it can be so powerful. All the sponsors I ever got, all the, all the connections I ever got, all the speaking engagements I ever got were because I was able to tell my story with some clarity, with some eloquence. Like it, it's just so, so crucial and so cool to be able to do it. So don't feel like it's a hassle to after answer a few questions, consider it as like, ah, this is my chance to talk about something that I need to say. And if you're really clever, you can always get it in, no matter who asked the question and how they asked it. You're like, oh, you know, one thing I did though, is there anything else you'd like to tell people? There's your chance. Yeah. Give her. Just give her. You might get it, you might get a sound, but you might not. But more often than not, if you're saying something unique, that's gonna get clipped into something they'll put on the air or put in the, in the article and someone will read it and your story will get further. Boom. Media training in one minute. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. Okay. There's, uh, there's three questions that I ask every guest at the end. They're pretty, pretty quick, but the one is out of all your daily habits, what is the single biggest game changer for you? Getting eight hours of sleep. Mm, Yeah. Sleep, sleep is, is I have, and I, and like I say this with like, I understand not everyone gets this, but I have never had any issues sleeping. Like I, and I still do not sacrifice that time. So even if I stay up late, then I sleep in a bit or, or, you know, depends on the school of thought you think about sleeping, but I do believe, and especially when I was competing that you can nap during the day and it will help you if you miss sleep. It's like naps are key. Yeah. They're not for old people. I always tell my dad that dad, it's not for old people. It's for Olympic athletes. Like if you need to nap and you have the space to nap, take a damn nap. Uh, otherwise figure out what amount of sleep you need between like six and eight hours or maybe more 
and get it. Just get it. Your life will change if you get enough sleep. It's not just for children, old people, and Olympic athletes. It's for everyone. So yeah. get your da- get your damn sleep. <laughs> so important. Love it. Okay. The next one is um in like a sentence or so, you know, you're looking back on on everything you've accomplished in your life. Like you're going into the future, but you're looking back. <laughs> okay. You know, what is the impact that you wanted to have made? I want people to believe that they are enough hmm. in whatever version they're showing up as. If you believe that if you're, you show up in the best version of yourself for that moment, you are enough for whatever it is you want to tackle. Hmm. Love that. So important. And the last one is what does the saying or the term all in mean to you? Mm-hmm. All in is about doing it with your entire heart, your, your whole being, your whole soul. You think you drink, you sleep, whatever it is, that's being all in. and if you've ever had the chance to be all in about anything in your life, then, then you're, then you are truly blessed. I have to say, because it isn't something that everyone gets to be a part of. So for all the ups and all the downs of being all in, in sport, like I've been a number of times, I wouldn't trade it for the world because being all in is something in your life makes you the most resilient, most powerful version of yourself. And no one can take that away from you. That was such a perfect answer to sum everything up because we've talked about the hardships and, you know, all those lows going through the process of pursuing this thing that you were all into. So I love that you said, you know, that the the lessons that you've learned from it and that process of being able to, to go all in and having that, that deep drive and passion was just, you know, it, it outweighed, it, it outweighed it all. So love that. I really appreciate you being so open and transparent about sharing your story. Um, it's been, it's been great to, to relate on, you know, some of our experiences for sure sure and connect on that and I know people listening will definitely relate and you know hopefully be eye-opened by some of the things that you shared as well as you know get some tips and motivation to take into their own lives whatever they're doing where can people follow you to learn more about everything else that you're you're working on and doing I appear the same on all social media so first and last name c-a-s-s-i-e-h-a-w-r-y-s-h at Cassie Huresh here, there, and everywhere. So at me, write me a note, whatever you need. I'm always, I'm always around and helpful and happy to help. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. And yeah, thank you again. Really appreciate you, all the work you're doing, you know, highlighting other athlete stories as well, and then sharing your story on here. Thank you so much, Natalie. I loved it.